Okay, so we are going to talk about um, winning contracts today. So um, this isn't just your traditional, like, let's go through uh, the contract class, although I will tell you that you should know it like the back of your hand. Um, you, in your mind, whenever you're meeting with a buyer, should automatically think of every single section of the contract and how it needs to be filled out and what your client needs in the contract. So you should absolutely know the contract inside and out. But we're going to talk about what it takes to win um, in our market. And here in our market, even just since I've been in real estate, it is insane how many multiple offer situations I've been in. So today, I want us to start by thinking like a seller. We're writing a contract as a buyer. We need to be thinking about the seller because who are we trying to get to say yes to our, um, our offer? We want to represent our buyer, but we also want the seller to say yes. And there's some really simple things that you can do to take away, um, uh, I call it kind of meaningless countering that can happen. Um, and also, if you do get in that multiple offer situation so that your offer is the one that gets accepted. Nobody likes to get the call that you didn't win. So we're going to work, work through some things today, show you some tricks then, uh, that we have, you know, I've learned over the years that have helped me a lot um, in multiple offer situations. And it is par for the course that right now as we speak, I'm waiting for my phone to ring because I'm in multiple offer situations on an $800,000 house that's only been on the market two days, okay? So hopefully we'll see a, a ring by that listing agent here in a minute. Um, okay, so we're gonna think like a seller and we're gonna think like we're in multiple offers, okay? So just recently I had a listing that um, got eight offers in 24 hours. So I just want you to imagine being the seller and having eight offers that you're supposed to look at. Now they don't know our contract the way do, we do, um, I'm supposed to put it in layman's terms for them to be able to really look at the bottom line and see what is the best offer for them. And that made me think about this class and think what are the things that happened or what are the things that these buyer's agents did that were smart that helped their offer get chosen over somebody else's. So I want to hear from you. What are some things that um, if, you have, if you have the seller, what are some things that would make you choose one offer over another one? Kendall. Okay. So he went ahead and called to find out the answer versus guessing the answer. Okay. Which is one of my bullet points later. Okay. Called about the closing date. Okay. What else? What else would make your stand out? The local lender. Local lender. Tell them why, Diana. So many reasons why, but um, one, we know the market, but the most important is really the appraisal list. So um, uh, uh, the appraisal has to be ordered through an appraisal management company, which is the AMC. And so if you have a local lender, we work with local appraisers that we choose to be on our list. Um, for people who are out of town, a lot of times they get the list, the, the appraisers who are not on other people's list for a reason. For a reason. For a reason. And we won't even get into that because I could do a whole class <laughs> just on that topic. Um, and also Fairhope Single Tax Colony. Kendall can tell you about a personal deal herself that was an auction um, home that she bought. And when I tell you that um, people outside of this area will look at you like you are crazy when you tell them that you don't own the land that the house sits on. Um, so local lender for sure. Okay, what else? What are the things that um, would help your offer to stand out? Help you choose, like as a seller, help you choose. Obviously money, right? How much, how much the purchase price is, the offer. 
Um, what about financing? Cash, cash only. Okay, cash is king. Then what's the next best thing, thing do you think? Okay, no contingencies for sure. Pre-approval um, pre letter, yes, because as a listing agent, as a seller, you're going to look at that pre-approval. You're going to see like how much money are they, how much money are they putting down? Who is their lender? Um, relationships that local lenders have with other agents in the area is also really important because if they say, oh, "Well, I've worked with that local lender, but they never get back to you, and you never have a clue where you're at in the transaction, and had three that didn't close in time," those kinds of things will weigh um, with your buyer's offer and whether or not it, get, it gets accepted. No contingencies, tangencies. Okay, what else? I think the title company is important. Okay, title company. All right, so when it comes to title companies, it's seller elected unless buyer, um, you know, puts it on the contract. So I think this kind of goes back to that agent who called and said, well, what about the closing date? You know, with it being around Christmas, do you want, they want to close before or after? I think this is another huge one that could be a, a meaningless counter. You know what I mean? Like if they're okay with everything else, but you, um, you put your closing, closing company your preferred title company on there without talking with them first they might get everything else about yours and would have accepted it as is if you hadn't put you know your title company sometimes they they really don't care sometimes you could say oh well I prefer Alabama land title is that okay with you and your sellers and they say yes well then you know um, and that's one of the things I have on my list too is there are certain things that you can call and ask questions before you actually get to the point where you've sent sent the offer because then you're you're keeping from those you know meaningless counters would you say earnest money being part of the money like if they put down a large chunk yes absolutely so um i had a, a situation where i had a buyer who had to sell a house um out of state and in order to purchase this home the big thing to her was i'm moving here from out of state I don't want this to be a first right of refusal. And so her way of, of saying, look, I've got some skin in the game was she upped her earnest money way up, you know, like to show, hey, please, I'll, I'm asking you, I realize I'm asking you to remove this house from the market, to take time off the market, which could be detrimental to you if I'm not able to close, but I'm putting, you know, a lot more earnest money um, in, the, in the game. So I definitely think these are some things that are super important. When it came to this situation where I had eight offers, I mean, I literally um, made an Excel spreadsheet and I put the, each agent's name and I put the purchase price. I put if there were any contingencies that they had and how long the contingencies were because we're still trying to protect our buyers, right? So, okay, we know that um, most houses, we are gonna wanna do diligence and um, contingency, but we can shorten it down. You know, instead of asking for 10 days, you could ask for five. Most of us, if we've been in the business for even a little while, you could probably call and it, maybe if they're three days out, you can, might could call and pull a string and say, hey, is there any way that you could get in tomorrow to see this one? It's really important that we remove this contingency quickly. Anything like that, because what you're saying to the seller is, we still wanna make sure that the house is good, in good condition for my buyer, but you're also saying, I'm not gonna hold it off the market if, something happens during inspection because when do most offers when do most contracts fall through it's typically going to be during that due diligence period so if you shorten that down make sure offer look just a little bit better if i had two offers side by side were for the, that were for the same amount same earnest money but one had half the amount of days for um inspection you know there there's something that just made the offer stand apart without changing the the purchase price so these are things that um 
will help. I think that it's really important too that, we be, that we're sure that we're filling in every single blank. Um, I know uh, I've received offers on listings before and the buyer, it's looked like, it looks like they did as little as they possibly could to be able to put an offer together to send it over to me. We're just in the kind of market to me where every, and, and, it, and it's a, re a reflection of you as an agent too. Every deal, every time you write an offer for a buyer, you're establishing or creating a reputation for yourself in the business. So when I write a contract, I want my contract to be thorough. I want it to be accurate. I want to be sure that I'm taking care of my client, but that I have thought through the entire process. When I was a new agent, every contract that I wrote, I called or had another seasoned agent look at that offer. And that's another thing, Jason talked about being led from the bottom up. That's something I can tell you that this company is so good at, and that's being able to rub shoulders and be able to glean from other people who are right next to you. You know, if you're not, I mean, you're, you're a seasoned agent, but you're coming from another state. So our contract's gonna look a little bit different from yours because there's some difference in state laws. So the fact that she is a seasoned agent, but the fact that she's new to Alabama, for her to pop in the office or you know, give me a call and say, hey, April, can, would you just take a second and look at this offer? Guess what? I know the contract really well. It's not gonna take me 20 minutes to go over a contract and be able to tell if it's written out thoroughly or if there's something that she missed. And so I remember saying to Kendall whenever I first got started, I can't wait to know this so well that I know that I can just flip, I know exactly where to go if I need to double check the closing date or I need to flip back up and make sure that I did the right uh, amount of days for you know, the due diligence or inspection. Knowing the contract that way and making sure that every single little thing is filled in. You need to be very well acquainted with Delta Computer Systems and Baldwin County Plat Maps. So if you haven't and you don't know how to get into those two systems, Delta Systems is going to be where you're going to find restrictions and covenants. Um, you know, there's nothing worse than writing an offer for a buyer and finding out they can't have their boat in the backyard, you know, during the due diligence when it would have taken you five minutes to pull up the deeds and restrictions and send those over to your buyer for them to preview before you even made an offer. Um, so I just feel like as an agent, it's our job. We want to help our client know exactly what they're getting into. I realize that there are situations sometimes if you've got a really low priced property that's in coming soon status or it hits the market and your buyer calls or you call them and say, we need to go within the hour. There are you know, certain situations where you're scrambling to get an offer put together, but most days, if you just take an, actually set aside an hour, hour and a half to do all that you need to do to get all of that information to your buyer, it's gonna make your buyer look better. Um, this situation that I got in with my, um, with, in, in the multiple offer situation that I was talking about with, um, with the $800,000 house, First of all, I didn't think I'd be in a multiple offer situation in a house like that. So I was annoyed at the market. <laughs> but, um, you know, there are some things that I did because I wanted to make my offer look the strongest. So when we're talking about multiple offers, and I just think if you start to think about, um, you know, every offer is not a multiple offer, but we do know that the seller has the choice what to do with the offers that are in their hand. So that's why I say we almost want to think this way because they don't have to come back to us and say, we're in multiple offers, send me your highest and best, or do you want to clean this contract up a little bit? Go ahead. I was just going to say, you said Delta Systems. Who was the other one? Um, Baldwin County Plat Map. Okay, thank you. 
Yeah. And so if you Google that, uh, it's a weird, like there's not an easy link where Delta Computer Systems, you can just type it in. But um, Sorry, yeah. No, you're good. Maps. You're good. The plat map. Yes, because there's one in Georgia. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and um, that we have some newer agents in the room. So for those who are like brand new, um, this will actually, I mean, you can literally go to a street, you can go to a subdivision and you can look and see each person, like who actually owns the house. And then it gives you a clickable link so that you can see what the taxes are on that property. Um, Delta computer systems, of course, you can look up tax records that way too, but that's also where you're going to find restrictions and covenants. And again, that's one of those things like if you don't know how to do it, like the only dumb question is a question not asked. It's not her. Okay, it's good. It's not her. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to finish if we don't win. I'll be like, ah! <laughs> um, So th those two things, taxes, deeds and records, um, and then the Baldwin County plat map for the plat map viewer. Uh, and a lot of times too, you can lay, overlay the satellite if you're trying to figure out, like you know, uh, the other day I had one, we were out on some land and I'm trying to figure out, get a, an idea of where the property line is. And I was able to pull up the Baldwin County plat map, lay out the satellite view and I could at least have a better idea of, oh, okay, there's, there's three trees in a row and that's where that property line ends. And I, I could easily find it where if I'm looking at an open field, you know, um, that doesn't take the place of a survey, of course, but it is it is good. Okay, so back to the multiple offer thing. Okay, so what are some things that you do if you get in multiple offer situations to help your buyer win? Um, I, I am huge on um, a personal letter. So with a photo. that's right, with a photo. And um, I could show you right now the one that I'm in right now. My buyer did a beautiful job. Um, connecting with the seller on what they've done with the property, what they love about the house, how they envision themselves and their family um, living in and loving that house, and then uh, helping them understand why a house like this is so important to their family because they have horses and you know it's really difficult to find houses with land they've been looking and waiting you know all of these things but really laying it on thick like i loved every detail that you chose in the kitchen it was as, as if i chose it myself and you know these kinds of things um, are going to connect with the seller because people are emotionally connected to their house and when they're selling they're trying to detach but they a lot of times have years and years of memories and so they can imagine another family loving this house the same way. And I can tell you, I've gotten offers where one person sent a letter and one didn't. And I mean, sellers can't help but feel like, I feel like I know this person, you know, and I want them to have my house. The money's not everything. The money is not everything. Because then they can choose to say, well, this person really loves my house and wants it. So I'm going to work this offer they know okay well I could fall back to the one that just gave me the most money but these people god they really want it they sent me a letter they sent all of these things um, and so I'm gonna work this offer first and then I'm gonna come back to the other one if I can't come to terms with this one Mm-hmm. Yeah. With us on the other side. Yeah. 
So also relationships. Being, being a good realtor, easy to work with, knowledgeable, kind of a local lender who knows what she's doing, gives the confidence to that agent that then gives the confidence to that seller. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We all have a couple agents that the eye roll happens as soon as you see that they're the listing agent, you know? When do you prep your buyer that they might? First of all, that can be intimidating to people. Yes, yes. I, I have several that I send them. Like if you need an example, which she is, this girl is like super smart. So I, I said, is this something that you feel like you need some help with? I could send you some examples. No, I got it. And she, girl, she got it, you know? But there are people, I had a little house and it was like, $125,000 house and other, I mean, do you remember that one? You had like 11 offers on it, it was your listing. <laughs> anyway, we didn't win that one, but uh, cash, cash is king, cash won that one. But, uh, but anyway, in you know, situations like that, I mean, I have two or three that just are from the past. You wanna mute that for me? Um, I'm sorry. Uh, but in those situations, um, I, I use the letters to prompt them. I have almost written a whole letter for somebody one time. You know, they didn't have time. We were in a crunch. I knew that we needed to get it in. I wrote it, sent it to them, and said, is there anything you want me to tweak? Because I was like making stuff up. High school sweethearts that have been married, you know? I was like, is that right? I feel like y'all told me that. Is that true? And she was like, close. It was, you know, and I was, she was like, it was actually college. I was like, yeah, you know, it's close enough. No, I'm just kidding. I was like, okay, I'll change that. College sweethearts, you know. Um, so it just depends. But if you're a great writer and your person is intimidated, say, hey, I'll, I'll lay an outline out because you listened to them. You heard the things that they loved about the house. You heard the things that are, that they envision themselves seeing, uh, you know, their family be there, live there, and why it's so meaningful to them that they win this house. Um, so you can definitely help them in that way. There's nothing against it. I do. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you say to your buyers when you put in an offer and, and you like hear back really shortly after we're in multiple offers? Like, how do you break it to them like, when they didn't realize they're going to be necessarily competing? Yeah. I just got one of those messages. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, this is the perfect example. The yeah. one I'm in right now. I mean, who would have thought? I mean, even in our market at that price point, you don't think first day on the market. And we we saw it, it was incoming soon. I called her. I set up the appointment six, seven days before it was ever active, the day of it going, I was the first person to see it. It never really crossed my mind, you know what I mean? Um, so afterward, because this is the thing too, some buyers think that we just tell them things because we want them to hurry up and make a decision, you know? Well, the, the agents let me know that they have four more showings today on this house that just hit the market. So I'd hate for us to get in multiple offer situations. So I, I laid it out first, just because I knew there was some good activity. Or if it's the price point, I tell them while we're there, at this price point with the condition of the house, like I'm seeing it, I know our market, I'm telling you this is gonna go really quickly. There's a, there's a good chance we could probably get in multiple offers. If you're in um, Lake Forest and you're under 175, you, you just know before you even get in there, you know, we're probably gonna get in multiple offers. We need to be aggressive, we need to be quick to get this in. Um, and so, I mean, nothing like it. You just gotta rip the Band-Aid off. And I'm a, I'm a fluff kind of person. I do like to get all in my feels. I'm not as much like Kendall, you know, but when it comes to this kind of thing, this is, I always spin it as this, but guess what? I've got some tricks up my sleeve. This is what we're gonna do. And I just lay out the plan. Like, this is the bad news, but this is what we're gonna do. I'm not just like, oh, well, I hope it goes okay. You know, I'm like, we're gonna do a personal letter. We're gonna attach an escalation clause. We're gonna go back into the contract and see if we can whittle down any of our contingency dates so that our, our offer looks stronger. Um, do you, what about our, up in your earnest money? Would you be willing to put a couple more thousand dollars in your earnest money? Um, 
But when you come with them and you're the expert and you're saying those things, it, it buffers the bad news, you know, because I'm not just sitting here passively hoping for the best. I'm doing something about it. That's right. Yeah. So, okay. Um, escalation clause. So that's something I mentioned too. Oh, and we were talking about, um, I just want to, with multiple offers, we talked about whittling down contingencies, um, simple things that you can call and ask. What about a close date? We're close to Christmas. What would be better for your folks? Um, what about a survey? Do you have an existing survey? Because is it really, like, is my, is my buyer really going to make it contingent on a survey? If, if we're in that kind of situation, probably not. You know what I mean? Because if there's some kind of issue with, um, you know, property line dispute, they're going to have to get their own survey anyway. And so probably not really something that I want to hang my hat on trying to get for them if that would mean, you know, because that for a, sur a survey on some pieces of land could get pricey, you know. Bonds. I mean, like, can we, yes. Do you have one that we can transfer? Right. Can buyer pay for the transfer versus us and the seller pay for the transfer. Right. So, um, I mean, it says buyer to pay for it, but, you know, just knowing that up front gives, you know, an idea of cost. Right. Yes. What's your thought on um, possession dates? Possession date. So that's real. That's a great one because especially if you're looking at a house, somebody's got 4,000 square foot house and you're trying to um, take possession the day of closing. Well, you think about that from a buyer perspective, that's great. They're excited. But you think about from a seller perspective and that's hairy. You're like, oh gosh, even if they're buying another house, that means they have no transition time. So if your buyer is in a position to where they're just excited to get in the house, but they've got a rental for another month, that's a huge thing. And I'll tell you, that's this one too. I mean, I told my people, I said, we're going to send a personal letter. We're going to attach an escalation clause. We whittled down some of our contingency dates, but also we have the best buyer scenario in the face of the planet. We literally call, I called the agent and I said, I'm attaching this in the email, the body of the email, but my person has a rental secured until the end of April. They said they'll close on the house. Your people can rent it back for three months if they want it. So we could close as early as the week before Christmas if they need to get out of town, or we can wait until May if they want to. We're wide open, whatever works for your seller. So, I mean, that's a very unique situation for a buyer to be in, which I'm hoping makes us win. <laughs> We can do that. We, we can do a lease back. It's not as a, a part of our standard contract, but we have post-occupancy, pre-occupancy agreements and documents. Yes? Uh, when you predict that you're going to be in a multiple, multiple mm -hmm. offer situation, um, when we're writing the offer, how aggressive or not aggressive do we need to be on response times? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. And I, I think, this one. yeah, like yeah. I mean, on one hand, you want to be aggressive. Right. Say, Look, get it back to us quick. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's avoid what's going to happen. And but at the same time, we need to understand that our agent, other agents do actually have real lives, too. We want to be understanding um, of that, too. Because I'll, I'll give you a situation where I had uh, an agent who I think he gave me a two or three hour timeline. I was literally at a wedding. I mean, I was like, there's no way. No, that wasn't you. That was a different one. <laughs> Yours might have been short, but it wasn't that one. <laughs> you were in the one on with the eight offers. Oh, yeah. Um, no, but I was sitting in a wedding, so I like, I'm like, hey, um, there's no way. You know, like I'm in a wedding. I could text them just what you sent, but there's no way that I can 
get the information to them, get you something back on paper and a counter or, or even an acceptance in that timeline. And he ended up giving me like two more hours and I was like. <laughs> well, then the other problem is like the offers that I sent over Friday, they're like, oh, well the seller's not available until Monday. Well, I knew they had an open house schedule on Sunday. So I'm like, great. You know, so we went ahead and sent the personal letter and I just told him, I said, let me know if another offer comes in. But it was almost like, you know, I had to tell the client we can either let our offer expire or give them the extension. Unfortunately, we're kind of at their mercy on this. Right. Right, right. I mean, I, I typically do 24 hours, but if we're and we know we're going to be in a multiple offer situation, I mean, you want to shorten that. Uh, 12 to me, though, is, is like that's you do six. Okay. I was like, I really usually don't do less than 12. It depends on what time of the day it is. Yeah. Then, like if I get it to him at 8 a.m., I'll do same day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're going to be home that evening. Right. Yeah. 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 So like 8 p.m. or something. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. But if I mean, it's morning, I don't expect six hours. You know, right. Yeah. Not, they may not be home yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it depends on the property. I mean, your goal in, in a short response time is to not allow a bunch of more offers in, obviously. Sure. So um, when you got like... Um, I think Lake Forest is just a great example because you can get some in that lower price point. It's very difficult to find. Um, so with that kind of house, I mean, I, I think, I, I don't do six, but six to eight hours, I mean, six to 12 hours is is understandable, I think. Three hours, a little unreasonable. That's unreasonable. Yeah. If you're outside property, can you get to that? Exactly, yeah. One more question real quick. It's something you already covered real quick. Mm -hmm. So on uh, the cash down, it yeah. helps strengthen your offer. Right. Now, on the contract, when we're filling out the contract, I'm just speaking hypothetically. Yeah, go ahead. When we're filling out the contract and, you know, you know, let's say our buyers have been pre-approved, but they don't know for sure how much they're going to put down. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to get into that after they get the house. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I mean, we can, we can technically write whatever number we wanted to on that contract and that's not the, as far as cash down right yeah like your percentage of loan even if you knew your people were only going to put five thousand dollars down right yeah you could put a hundred thousand dollars down I mean, I try to I try to go on the conservative side. I mean, I've never had an uh, an agent balk at if I ended up, you know, they ended up putting less down or something. But I just to me, I want to be upfront. I mean, if it's FHA financing and you put that they're putting, you know, twenty percent down, I mean, the agent's gonna be like, mm, you know, or I got an offer and the buyer's agent had put that they were gonna be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I don't know. I'm just, I'll, I'll you know, yeah. Be I'm like, I, I try to be on the up and up for sure. Yeah. But Somebody shows up for church on Sunday. I don't want to be like lying realtor, you know, <laughs> so I'm trying to think of it that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, we're, we're basing it off of a conversation with a lender typically, or just a conversation. A lot of times your, your buyers aren't knowledgeable enough to really know a whole lot about it. Right. So, um, you know, I just think you want to represent them well, I think. I think what he's trying to say is that makes your offer look stronger. Yeah, you're right. It does. But I, like but too. Down $50,000. Right. Probably a strong buyer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah. Exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I do think it does. But I think that we should try to. forever. You sold a bunch. Yeah. I mean, is that. This, I mean, what is your input on that real quick? Repeat the question. You feel like it's misleading? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. Under, yeah. Under, under financing. Yeah, under financing. 
put longer value. I mean, if, if you know, managers at the time, you're, I mean, even if your buyers haven't been pre approved, they really don't know how much they're going to put down yet because they haven't gotten to that point. So, uh, anytime I'm having a conversation, April and I do this all the time. Mm -hmm. She always calls and says how much. So, we, I, I always recommend putting the minimum down to go up. My understanding of the purchase contract is, though, is that that is your buyer's contingency. So, you know, you can put in whatever you want, whether whether they put that down or not, I don't think has any bearing, but I think like if you were to have an attorney dive into that, you know, say you had a seller unwilling to release earnest money and you end up in court or something like that, my understanding is that's the buyer's contingency to utilize. So if they put down 10% and they need to get out of the contract because they don't qualify or something like that, it could go in your buyer's. Right. Way, but right. I, I don't think it truly. Matters. But she said it makes mm -hmm. them all for stronger. So mm -hmm. make it, I mean, I mean, could it? I mean, typically your pre-approval and your pre-qual letter is going to have your. It's going to state it. Yeah. If you're using a lender who has truly pre-qualified the buyer. Because I was going to say that that's one of the thing. The I mean, submitting the pre-qual. Yeah, and I think you need to make sure that you're reading the pre-quals that you're getting. From yeah. The right. Sure because Diana's is actually, I actually, uh, again, I'm, I keep going back to this one I'm in right now, but Diana, um, I just used the prequel she sent me for the house that, the rental house that we're buying, and I sent that to, because they're getting an in-house loan that he's a, uh, he owns a business, and it's, they're doing an in-house loan with the company that does all of their business. So he's like, I don't do a bunch of prequels. What's this thing supposed to look like, you know? So I sent him one of hers, and I was like, typically, because he said, well, actually, they're doing this this percentage is actually what the loan value is, so I could put that. And I was like, well, can you put both, a purchase amount or a percentage of, and this is the loan amount? And I sent him that one so that he could see what it looks like, but it has purchased. I just, I just feel like we should do, we want to represent our buyers well, but we also want to be truthful. If we know that they're putting like 10 to 15 and we're putting that they're going to put down 50%, I mean, that's not being ethical, you know? So I just think that falls back to an ethics issue, but it does make it look stronger, you know? So a buyer who could put down a little bit more money, they're, they're you know, it's like, okay. Yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like they had it if they had to do it, but they're they may choose to go with a lesser um, percentage down just because rates are good or whatever. Okay. So um, personal letter possession date was a great thing. Prequal letter. We talked about whittling down contingencies. Um, I want to go over the escalation clause, and I did mean to print some. And when I say whittle down, you'll know what I mean, right? Um, yes. Okay, so um, um, okay. escalation clause is something that we were taught by probably you, Diana, back in the day. So we were utilizing escalation clauses long before people around here did. Sometimes, I mean, every single time you sent one, you knew you needed to call the agent, you needed to be sure that they were educated on what that is, how to utilize it, what it means, so that they didn't feel like they were reading Spanish or that you just pulled something out of the sky. So let's talk about what um, an escalation clause is. Has anybody in here ever used an escalation clause or are you are familiar with the escalation clause? Okay, good, all right. So that way you're not like, oh, Okay, so escalation clause. It is a Baldwin Realtor form now. Um, I have it. Yes, it's a form. So that makes you feel real official. Like, 
I didn't make this up. Baldwin Realtors has a form for it. So uh, don't worry, like we didn't pull this out of the sky. It is legal and legit. And yes, that's why my buyer should win. Can we get that in dot loop? I have it in dot loop um, and I, it's a pretty simple form. So I just had somebody send it to me that had it. And then I input the thing and saved it as a template. Oh, good to know. Good to know. Okay. Okay. So an escalation clause states, let's say that my buyer, um, let's say the purchase price for the house is 100 and, okay, I'm getting a new one. Let's say it's one, 195. Okay. So this is the that is um, the sales price of the property. But my buyer wants the house so bad, we feel like we're gonna get multiple offers, it's a great house. And there, on the escalation clause, I'm gonna say that my buyer's gonna pay $500 over the highest offer, not to exceed an amount of $200,000 or whatever my number is. Okay, so $500 over highest offer. So while you're thinking about that, I want you to think about my, my first question was, well, if I was the listing agent, I would just say, yeah, I've got an offer for $199,500. Um, so you are protected in that it asks for them to provide proof or page one. Now it's on page two, technically though, um, the purchase price of the highest offer. And I had one recently where the escalation clause did go into effect. We won, it was a house in Lake Forest. And she said, your escalation clause did go into effect. Here is the copy of the other contract. So I had set the limit at, cause I had a cash buyer. So I'd set the limit at I think 10,000 over the list. We ended up only going $4,500 over the list price to win. So I didn't have to pay the full amount, the highest they would pay. I only had to pay $500 over the other person's highest offer. So it didn't matter if they were cash or whatever, it says the highest net offer technically. So, you know, if you had asked for closing costs or whatever, um, but this is a form, a Baldwin Realtor form that you, we can have. Um, I'll see if Miranda maybe could put it in dot loop for us. So if it's net, yes. and you're only asking for page two where the number is. Let me see what it says I mean, now on the form. Page 12 and page two. Documentation. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes. For closing costs. Here, this is what it says. Suffic sufficient documentation to okay. justify. So it's whatever, because it's not, I guess, not specific for our actual offer whenever they wrote this. Or I guess if, it, our, if our purchase contract were to change, it still would be um, effect. So you have escalating factor, which is how much over the purchase price that you're going to do. And then you have a cap, what's the highest number that I will do. And then um, they have to provide the documentation. And then it asks you a question, it's like a little toggle checklist where it asks you what's gonna happen with the loan if we have to go into this. Like is the buyer going to fork out some extra cash in order to, to match that 5,000 over the list price that we're asking? Or, um, or is, is it gonna be rolled into the loan? And the reason that that's important is because what could happen? What could happen if we're going over sales prices? Way over. Not appraising. Not appraising. Okay, so that's why the question falls into place. If you say, I think it's going to be real squirrely. I don't even know if that's going to appraise for that, but they want it so bad they don't even care. They have the cash. They'd pay that $5,000 if that's what it meant. 
um, then you might say the, the buyer's just gonna, kinda, gonna come out of cash out of pocket for that. Um, and again, this could go back to that thing where it could end up being lumped into the loan eventually if it did appraise for that, but at least they, they would be able to say, well, I do have the money if the appraisal didn't come in where it needed to be. But y'all, this right here, I won't tell you where we are with my house, but um, like I think that this is a game changer. You know, and the agent called, she said, um, I've seen these before, I'm not super familiar, I wanna be sure that I understand, is this what you're saying? Yes, that's correct, you read it correctly, okay. Um, and so I've given my, my, my buyers, you know, a, a $25,000 buffer, essentially. And I, how many times have you been in a situation where you thought, if I just, and what, what do buyers always say? How much is the other offer for? Well, golly, folks, if I knew that, I'd just call and say, we need to offer this to win, right. you know? They're not gonna tell you. They're not gonna disclose to you because they would not be representing their seller well. So this is, I call it my, the trick up my sleeve. Um, and even though it's a Baldwin form, uh, I would say unless an agent has come directly through our office in this area, I've never seen anybody else use it. So take this and use it as the trick up your sleeve. So when that, she asked the question, what do you do? How do you break the news to them? Well, guess what? When you come back to them and you say, we're gonna do this and this and this and this, even if you don't win, they may be disappointed, but they are gonna trust you so much more because they're gonna say, this girl knows how to win an offer. And there's nothing we could do that we didn't have, you know, we didn't have $200,000 cash. There's nothing I could do about that that, that other person had $200,000 cash. But I know if we get in this situation again and somebody else has a mortgage like me, I'm probably gonna win because April is looking out for me. I, I'm not 100% sure, and I think that you'd probably have to go directly to Mobile. I would email though, them, though, and say, um, are escalation clauses approved within Mobile? Because we definitely have been using them here. They are approved, and now we have the form, which just kind of validates that. Because, you know, I had a couple agents before we had the form say, are you sure that we can do this? Can you really do that, you know? Um, so if, if Mobile says yes, and nobody else is using it, you, you got something there, you know what I'm saying? You got something there. Um, okay, so revisiting where we are. Oh, it's four minutes, 40 minutes. I don't know exactly how much time I had, but I think that 45 was about right. Is that right, Jason? Yeah, 45 yeah, or so? Yeah, about five. Okay, all right, well this will, I'll go just a couple minutes more to wrap up. We'll have a potty break and then um, come back to revisit the second, second part. Okay, so just revisiting what we've talked about before, some things that we can do to write winning contracts. Um, we're gonna call and ask the questions that need to be asked. This specific one was about closing date, but things like existing survey, things like um, closing and possession date. Um, what was the other thing? Oh, title company. Which title company do you prefer to close at? Those are things that you can always call and ask up front or shoot a text. I mean, that takes you literally while you're writing the offer, uh, pick up Siri, hey Siri, text the agent and ask these four questions. You're gonna get an answer back because they know that you're writing them an offer, you know? Oh, sorry Siri. <laughs> sorry Siri. <laughs> um, but these are the things that you need to be thinking about. You need to know the contract like the back of your hand so that you're sure that every single blank has filled in. Take the time to make sure that you've got the tax PPIN in there and that it's correct. I had this happen recently. The PPIN number was input incorrectly. If somebody doesn't auto-populate from the Baldwin County, um, from Delta, 
They can input that number themselves. It could be wrong. So you're representing your buyer. You need to make sure that this contract is correct. You're the one who's sending it. So hop on Delta Computer Systems real quick. Print out or, or throw it over into um, dot loop. You know, make a PDF of the tax record from Delta and, and throw it over into your dot loop so you have it to refer back to. I do that with buyers and sellers um, because it's gonna show me what their taxes are gonna be, which I need to know in order to make a net sheet. Um, and it's gonna help me uh, also because I've got the PPIN and the, the description on there, the legal description. Earnest money, could they go up on their earnest money? Um, you know, you know and you're able to advise them on the protection of earnest money, but you also need to know, another deal I'm dealing with right now, that um, if nobody agrees, no matter if I, I mean, I literally have a timeline, I can prove to you that my buyer has every right to get her earnest money back and the listing agent is fighting it. Um, and guess what? If they won't sign something releasing that earnest money, that earnest money will sit here in escrow until Jesus comes back, and your buyer needs to know that. In Alabama, if another buyer comes along, mm -hmm. do they have to release that earnest money? Mm -mm. It, could, it could literally sit forever. Really? Yes. So we are at a stalemate right now, and I'm ho hoping Kendall will pull dog and get her. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, but no, it could just sit there forever. So buyers need to know that, you know what I mean? Because when they're saying, oh yeah, I'll throw out some earnest money, that's gonna be a credit to me at closing, yeah, okay, 10,000, you know? But, you know the contract says, circumstances? Yeah. If so-and-so happens, buyer gets their earnest money, if so-and-so happens, seller gets their earnest money, everybody has to sign the release. Everybody has to sign the release, everybody. So, uh, yeah, and that's something I think I learned the hard way in the beginning first year four months in four months in so don't learn the hard way learn from classes like these <laughs> yes yeah yeah um, any other questions about anything that we've talked about with winning contracts any other questions any input I had one recently um, well let me see if I want to share this I feel uh, you. They said that it was cash, mm -hmm. and turns out that they didn't have the cash. Mm -hmm. So ask for proof of funds letters. Yes, which goes back to prequal. But let me tell you, if you have a cash buyer, like you need to see it. You Can I just tell you, you need to see it as the buyer's cash. agent. FYI. What say it again? Pulling from a HELOC. Oh yeah, That's right. That's right. Yeah, or retirement, or four hundred one k, or yeah, process with they all think. those things. They think they have it, but they don't. Right. It's not readily accessible in, a, in an account. Yeah. And, and that, that's, that's, a, that's a great lead into like a buyer consult and the questions that you need to ask. If somebody says, oh, yeah, I have the funds. Do you have that in a readily accessible account? Because we'll need to provide proof of funds whenever we make an offer. Oh, well, it's actually my retirement account that I was just going to pull from until I sell my house. Okay, well, we need to call eight o'clock in the morning, that retirement company and find out what the process looks like, how long it, ta how long it takes, because no, we can't do a 10 day closing like I thought we could, because that might take longer than that. So that goes back to asking some good questions, but that's so good from the listing agent perspective. And this is why, this is why from the buyer part, it makes you look stronger. When you have all these things in place, when I sent that agent a packet like this, the documents from the MLS. I had the seller's disclosure signed. I've got my personal letter. I've got my escalation clause. I've got my offer. I've got my pre-qualification letter all slammed together in a PDF. And then I've got my little verbiage where, hey, my people can close as early as this, as late as this. You just tell us what you want it to, to, to be and we'll, 
we'll move heaven and shake earth to make it happen, you know. Um, those kinds of things are going to help you in the long run. And then if I lose the offer, I'll be like, wah, 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 you know. But um, hopefully, hopefully not. I've won lots of other ones before, so. Um, I think that this is about all I have to say about this. So I'm going to give you guys a few minutes to, it's 3.46. We, the other one technically starts at 4. Um, and that one is about uh, being a market expert, comps, that kind of thing. So reconvene in 10, 15 minutes. Is that good? Yes. Thank you, Marcus. I learned from the best. <laughs> four years in February. Four years. I said, I was telling Kendall the other day, well, I said it in our video, so I won't bore you with the whole story, but that we sat down, when I sat down with you and Jason, I talked about those moments that you don't realize are like, like one of those whys in the road of your life, you know, that, that we sat down with you guys and I'm like, what do you think? You think I could do this? And Jason, the realist, is like, well, you yeah. could. You could, and you could be great, or you could, and you could suck. I mean, you know, it could go either way with real estate, because only so many people make it. And I'm like, well, will I make it? You know? <laughs> but that, that conversation. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you could kill it. Of course you could. I was like, well, I just need to make $30,000 a year. I was a teacher. I was like, I just need to make $30,000 a year. And he was like, you'd be a pretty terrible agent if you only made $30,000 a year. And I was like, he's like, you can do so much better than that. And I was like, the beginning, the coaching, like, you're going to be a multi-million dollar agent, you know. And um, after we left, Johnny looked at me like, what do you think? You going to do it? You going to do it? And I was like. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I should be scared or like ready to, you know, go do it now. And, uh, but life changing, why in the road for me, you know. I'm glad we're recording that, Brandon. <laughs> oh my God. If anybody, if nobody has to buy you can roll right into this. Okay. Can you check your phone or check your phone? No, I do need to put this on my computer though. Pull this up. Okay, yes, your multiple offer. So, um, it's, it's a condo that my buyer really needs because she's selling, I'm selling her house and she's under contract. Okay. But it's an investor. And um, and when I talked to the agent earlier, she had told me, oh, well, you know, just so you know, some of these haven't been appraising if you add closing costs. But we're, you know, he's really, it's Nathan Cox, mm -hmm. but he's really amenable to paying closing costs and, you know, just kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, just, Kind of we've had some issues with some other ones, but just send us what you got. And so I was like, oh, okay. And normally I wouldn't have been as aggressive on the closing costs because right. of my conversation with her. So we went in and I'm like, all right, well, let's, you know, we offered um, asking and no inspection because this is new construction. Okay. Turquoise, and, you know, no survey. Or right, anything. right. Kind of kept it clean. But then I went in, we went in kind of aggressive on our closing costs based on that conversation. So now I just called her and um, we asked for up to 4,000 closing costs plus transfer fees and a year of HOA space. Mm -hmm. conversation. I'm not like, scratch. Yeah. So, um, so I called her and she said, um, you know, just you can send another offer. Mm -hmm. I'm just starting to look at them. I don't know if I'll get back to you tonight that he's really slow about getting back. Mm -hmm. and, and um, she, you know, so that's where I'm now. I'm just, I, so I called my buyer mm -hmm. and she's like, I was like, look, I can't really tell you what to do, but 
you know, the best, you know, the, if you want to be competitive, you need to remove anything that you feel comfortable removing. Mm-hmm. So it does regress from the closing cost. Right. And um, I was like, so, you know, ju- just be aware, we, if, if we're not aggressive, that we might lose the condo. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, there's no way to know what other people are doing. And she said, well, well what, do you, you know, what do you think? And I said, I mean, whatever you can live with not getting, I right. would take it off the table. And she said, well, could we just do um, 3,000 closing costs? I said, is that, is that what you want to do? And I said, so we can see what happens, but it, it may not work out. Or go up on purchase price. In order to offset. She'd already, she'd already warned me not to do that. Because okay. Without appraisals. That's right. And, and my that's right, because it's new construction. Me, so, that's right. So I said, we can't, you know, can't add us. Yeah. How, you know, so... I mean, I always tell people like, what's the thing that when you hear they want it with this, that you're going to be like, you know, that's okay. Cause I wouldn't, I wouldn't willing to do that. And I have had buyers too, where I've said, this is what I would aggressively, this is what I would do. I would do this, 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 and this. And they're like, mm, I think I just want to do this. And if I don't get it, I don't get it. You know, yeah. you find out their motivation too sometimes. Yeah. Woo-hoo, we're on your bus. So, so we'll see. I was like, okay, are you sure? And so, I mean, it is a big difference because I mean, our closing costs we're asking for are pushing seven thousand dollars. Okay, right? yeah. So we have more than. So you've sent half. over at least a four thousand more net offer than, than you had before. Yes. If you're taking away four thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm sending them a new offer. Well, and I was gonna say, and you you know too that the they if they told you they've told the other people too about you know including have you sent a letter have you done that? No, because it's an investor. What am I gonna say to Nathan? Like, yeah. you know, he has a heart. I'm not saying he doesn't have a heart, but I'm just saying it, I don't think it's like a it's a it's a brand new Bureau Wharton condo. My buyer you know, wants to make home. money off of it. I mean, they build homes for what organization do they do? Uh, uh, no. She's a retired federal parole officer. <laughs> she's not a single mom, but I mean, technically uh, she is. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I could try a letter. I don't know that it would get there, but. Asked her was she going to ask for highest and best. She said no. That she's found they just get too complicated. Yeah. And so she well, and that's what that's why I brought up the point where the seller has the decision to do whatever they want to do. And a lot of people think, oh well, if they get multiple, they're going to let me know. Well, no. So you're sometimes you're at an advantage when you're the second offer to come in, and the agent says, hey, just let you know there's an offer on the table. If you send a really strong offer, then they don't have to go back to the first person and say, hey, we got a we're in multiple offers. They could just say, oh well, that was a great strong offer. April is so sweet, so easy to work yeah. with, you know. And that's been a pre-qualification. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, if y'all think a letter would. I mean, I think it can't hurt. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think there's so much value too in like a win-win. Jason and I are buying a house right now because we're crazy. I'm crazy, mm-hmm. and um, we're buying from like the sweetest people. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a hardball negotiation. Mm-hmm. We did come in. You know, we came in twenty-five thousand dollars off the list price, and they came back the full price. We accepted it. Like we're friends with them, they're going to come back and plant the garden with me. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, there's value in like loving and valuing these sellers in their position too. And mm-hmm. They want to do the same thing mm-hmm. for buyers. So, and then nobody has to feel like it was a loss. Yeah. Well, she just on the phone. She said he's already like just barely like he's already about to lose. He just is like basically at base cost plus a little commission. A really? Cost. He wants yeah. Of these things. Yeah. There's already that kind of like. And there know, aren't others. Like this is the only one. Well, the issue is the others that are out there have tenants like long-term tenants like they'll be gotcha. out in June or something. Yeah. And her house is closing. Right. And then the other one we saw was ten thousand dollars more. Gotcha. And she, that's really important to her. Right. For sure. This is the one in Mobile. It's the lady from Mobile. She's now going to come over here and look. So mm-hmm. she's gonna, she was all excited. I took her to lunch in downtown Daphne. And so anyway. I'm, that's cool. <laughs> this is my op city lead. I was putting with Nathan. So I'm like, all right. Oh, op city. <laughs> it's, it's a blessing. Right? Yeah. It's, it's a positive and a happy. 
Okay, does anybody in here not have access to the MLS? If you don't, I just want you to be near somebody that does because we're actually going to do some hands-on. I used to be an elementary school teacher, so um, in, some, in some ways, I think that everybody learns best hands-on. And so, it's Mobile. Um, just, I was going to say, she's, she does. And it, it, we're not doing it first thing. I just want to make sure everybody has it and it's accessible for you whenever we get to that part. Um, Do you want to? Yes. What? I had a situation. I don't know. Yeah. Um, real life is good. Real life situation and multiple offers before we switch gears, if that's okay. Um, and they encountered us. So I had the buyer. We gave them a strong offer. And they countered us because it was day one. She was buying time um, for her seller, and we were like we had signed the purchase agreement, but it had not been delivered to the seller, and they rescinded their offer before she received it. So just want to make sure y'all are aware. I think it's paragraph twenty-three. Yeah. They can rescind. Can the rescind. Offer. That's right. So um, don't don't have to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Go ahead, there's there's no business like ours where time is of the essence that is for sure i try not to hold anything in my hand for a long time with a seller you know and they'll ask you sometimes should we wait should we wait um and i mean unless i've heard from somebody like they're you know so and so's gonna because like that eight offer thing she's like well that last person said they were gonna send one too should we wait and i said Y'all got eight offers to look at. No, we got two that are cash. We should not wait anymore, <laughs> you know? Right. Like, no, let's just do this. Um, For what it's worth. Mm-hmm. That's good. And that goes back to knowing the contract inside and out. Well, I was going to say, when we were talking about, you know, the multiple offer, mm -hmm. we sold our house in Texas just recently, and we were under multiple offers. Mm-hmm. So... It was real interesting because there was one young girl, a, a couple, and they sent the sweet note. Here I do this for a living. Mm -hmm. They send this sweet note. It's a whole page, a picture of them. Mm -hmm. We look for two years. Right. This is the perfect. We see ourselves in this house. Yes. And I'm going, oh, I'm I know. I'm for my own stuff. I you know, know. Exactly. I mean, I, You're like, this is why we do this. And I'm just telling you, I would have taken that offer yeah. above because it was, I, I did best and final yeah. because I, it was a huge multiple. And then right. all over asking, and I would have taken there, yes. except this guy came back with the cash offer. Yeah. And it was so good yeah. that I couldn't pass I it. know, right. But they were the ones that I would Yes. Take. And it was just because they could see themselves in the yes. yard yeah. and living in our house. Right. The kids playing upstairs and going, Oh, and, and, and we've been with buyers. You know, there's sometimes you walk into a situation and the buyer, when it is so much like literally they could cry when they walk in, it's got every single thing and it's a unique property. And, you know, and then you've got buyers who are, who are like, I like this. It, it meets my needs. It'll do. You know the difference. And, and the letter conveys that to me. I know. It's so true. Well, and that's why, I mean, you, you know, you're talking to a buyer who's got a mortgage. You tell them, like, there's nothing we can do about the fact that you have to get a mortgage for your property, but we can do all these other things to try to make your offer stand out. Yeah. But it was just the other one was just because the time didn't matter to us. Right. It was, it was the meat, the meat of the contract. Yeah, it is. It is. That's right. It is. 
Okay, so now um, we're going to talk about being a market expert, which um, is going to kind of play into running comps for properties. Um, running comps, I was taught really, really early on, you should be running comps for buyers, not just sellers. Um, because what we're doing at, in representing our buyers the best that we can is um, we want to know that we know. It's kind of like I said, I can't wait until I know the contract so well that I can just glide up and see where this little section is or reread this. When that agent tried to say, I'm going to not release this earnest money, I knew exactly where to go. The only loophole that she could have would have been that title issue. If there were X amount of days given, if there were a title defect, I knew exactly where to go. And I was able to say to her immediately, you've never notified me that there has been a title defect. You have no reason contractually to hold my client's earnest money immediately. And so where she might have thought she was a seasoned agent, had been in the business longer than me, and she could run over me because she thought I, I could, she just could say, well, there's more time for title. That was the way she said it. And I was like, no. And I, I knew exactly where to go, and I knew what it said. Um, so crucial. So crucial. Okay. So we need to be running comps for buyers and sellers. We need to know the market. We need to know the market. This is where I get into, um, even if you consider yourself a part-time agent, if you don't do anything else, you need to be keeping yourself abreast of what's happening in the market. This most simple and easy way to do that is when you get on Paragon every day, you have your little home section where you've got what's new to the market, what's under contract, and what has closed. If you don't do anything else every day, I want you to get up and I want you to look at that, that, those three things. Because what that's gonna tell you is when you see, um, you see stuff that's new on the market, you see that you, know, you see prices raising in certain neighborhoods or you see things that have gone under contract and you're seeing that this neighborhood has houses that are going under contract first day, second day on the market. Or you see a neighborhood that you're like, oh, that thing's been for sale forever. It finally went under contract. Wonder what was wrong with that. Just do, do the, the extra work. Do the work that some agents don't want to do to establish themselves in the market. If you're a new agent, um, do everything you can to learn about certain neighborhoods. So if you see a house and like two of them have gone under contract in a couple weeks, you're like, man, let me, let me check out that neighborhood. What's going on with that neighborhood? And pull up just that neighborhood, what's sold in the past year, and look at it. And the, the most uh, rewarding thing that can ever happen is when you're out with a buyer and you're like, I did my homework on that neighborhood right there last week. I didn't even know it, but I can say, you know what? Three houses have sold in that neighborhood within the past two weeks. It's so hot. Things are going off the market in, you know, five days. So if we're going to get this one, we got to get in there now. Um, you're going to sound like the expert and they're going to trust you and they're going to trust your expertise. So we don't just want people to believe that we know, the, know about the, the market, we want to actually know the market. So we're gonna be checking the hot sheet every single day. And that's that sold, closed, sold or closed, new to the market and pending. Every single day. Um, if, you, if I were to flip this board over and you saw the, the perfect weekly schedule, it's going to start every single day off with checking the hot sheet. Um, you, okay, broker opens. Can I tell you, you can snack yourself and have lunch all week just about if you will pay attention to what's going on with broker opens. So broker opens are um, whenever agents 
are holding open the house or the listing that they have for other agents. Why do they want other agents to come through their houses? Because agents who have seen those houses are more likely to recommend them to a buyer that they have. We want people to come into our houses because we know that the more people come in and see it, the more likely we are to get an offer. So broker opens, go get you some snacks and some, you know, uh, lunch, dinner, breakfast, all kinds of different things. Um, get on Facebook and start following a bunch of the local, um, the local groups. Uh, there are so many. If you ask a couple of us who've been doing this for a little while, we can tell you. But Agents Helping Agents, Baldwin County, Shareology. I mean, there are so many different ones that you'll see um, properties in our local market that come across. And that's a lot of times where they'll post about the broker open. So... Um, Shareology, Realtors Helping Realtors in Baldwin County. Um, like what's a another one? They, yeah. Shareology is the actual uh, Baldwin, Baldwin. Shareology, yeah. that's right. Okay. Realtors only, uh, Realtors Helping Realtors, Baldwin County, I think it is. I didn't know that one. I'm going to join right now. You see it? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. If you just start searching Baldwin County Real Estate, Baldwin County Realtors, and just start following a bunch of pages, because um, it could be crap after a while you find that out, or they don't post a whole lot, but you're gonna find the ones in there where the agents are posting a lot. Um, Marcus is super active on social media. Rick, any of us who you see that post a lot on social media, if you wanna just call us or sit down with us one day and have us pull up our Facebook and look at all the different groups that we follow, that'd be a good way too. But I mean, you know, I just added them through the years, you know, as things came up. But following these people so that you know about the broker opens and also, of course, they're promoting their listings and stuff. Um, Caravan, here in the office, shameless plug for Caravan. Guys, Caravan is so incredibly valuable. We are looking at all of our newest listings, but let me tell you, that is like, that's like this much of what Caravan really is. What Caravan really is, is um, Mark is talking about one, something that happened in one of his most recent deals where do you oh my gosh guys I had a, a somebody rescind the offer I mean I knew that that could happen but like it happened to me you know I had the offer in my hand and then boom they rescinded their counter to us and have you ever had that happen what'd you do you know what do you think whatever it's talking about your business your your spouse your significant other probably is going to get tired of you telling them about every detail of your deal but guess what everybody up here does this all day every day they want to talk about it they'll talk to you about it so caravan so incredibly valuable every other tuesday tomorrow? starting tomorrow every other tuesday two tuesdays of the month eight o'clock eight o'clock eight o'clock Every other, or it's twice a month. Is that every other? Every other Tuesday. Free breakfast. Again, lots of free food, okay? If you're a new starving agent, then you just show up for all this stuff and they'll feed you. Um, caravan, every other Tuesday, 8 a.m. Um, agent preview. I love and I have been with uh, 
Miranda um, Meharry now. I have been with Miranda to go agent preview homes. This is something she's done since the very beginning. Literally setting up to go see houses that you think are beautiful or that you might have a client that may be interested in. Um, one, she's posting pictures of these houses that she's previewing on her social media, on her stories. Guess what? You and I all know that there's a listing agent, a buyer's agent, and that Miranda Meharry doesn't have 500 listings. But when people see her posting pictures of the inside of houses, they see she's working. They're like, man, she's killing it. She's always showing a new house or something pretty. Um, and also people can private message you. You're showing them this really cool house that's a great price or you know, you're telling something about it. And they're like, where is that? Oh my gosh, how much is it? and you might pick up leads um, that way too. So agent preview, I'm switching colors because agent preview. Um, and from a listing agent standpoint, again, I go back to, it's kind of the same concept with this and with this, do we want agents to come through our house? Yes, because we want them to be thinking about their client. Um, sometimes I may have a buyer that's not even on my radar that we've been passively looking you know, for some certain thing. I go see a house, I post it, and they're like, oh my gosh, um, that was so cool. What about that, would that be a good house for me? You know, would that be a fit for what I'm looking for? Um, so agent preview is, because I think my first thought was like, oh gosh, I mean, I'm asking the seller to get out for just me to look at a house. I don't even have a client with me, but you're a professional and you're not just selling one person a house. You're, you're a professional in this market and so, you're helping them to market whenever you're, you know, going to see one of their houses because you're going to put it in front of your clients. She just goes to the different houses. Like, she puts in like she has a... Once every, about every, once every other week, I think she does it. And she schedules three to four houses and she just goes and tours them. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I went with her one day. I said, hey, if I'm, if I'm slow on the days that you're going, just shoot me a text. I'd love to go with you. I went and saw this beautiful house in Silver Hill that was on 10 acres. It had a guest house. Um, I didn't have a buyer in, in, looking for that right then, you know, but guess what? Two months later, I had a buyer who was looking for that exact thing. We in her contract, we didn't close because she didn't sell her house in California, but I did end up taking a buyer and we made an offer on that house. And I had no idea whenever I went to agent preview it, I didn't have a buyer in mind for it, but it just so happened that she said, I'm talking to her on the phone. She's from another state. And I said, oh, you know what? I've actually seen that house in person. And so if I hadn't gone to agent preview a house, I never would have had, oh, she's like, cause I can't tell this thing. I was like, oh, now I've been there. Let me tell you, it's off to the side. Oh, there's plenty of room around that. That's not gonna be a concern at all. So this agent can go to different realtors? Listings, so it's be, it'd be like, okay, I've got a listing down the road. And whenever you go to showing time, it says agent preview. So first showing, second showing, agent preview, you designate agent preview. Um, anytime we're on caravan, you know, I mean, you're gonna see everybody with their phones out posting all of our, um, you know, our things. As long as you don't make representation that you're the listing, you don't say, I have this listing or whatever, you know. I've never had anybody get upset about it at all, ever. Yeah, when you'll find out, you'll find out. Yeah, I try not to use people's pictures. That's a good point. I really try not to use other people's pictures. Like even like I post if I go under contract or I sell a house, um, I either ask for their permission if I'm going to use their actual listing photo or I just take my own picture and put my own little, I paid 45 bucks for a really good thing that I can pop in and put a filter on houses. And um, I just take my own picture to post it if they're 
not the easiest to work with and you don't want to ask them for it. So agent preview. Okay, so all of these things, this is where you're going to get your market knowledge. Okay, market knowledge, key. Um, all right. D, G, E. Is that right? Okay. Um, okay, so the second part is I've, I'm doing all of these things on a, on a daily basis. I'm doing these things on a weekly basis. I'm checking my Facebook groups. I'm watching what's happening with the property. I'm going to Caravan every other Tuesday. I'm agent previewing some houses. Guess what? In a couple months, you're going to have a good little understanding of what's going on in our market, you know? Um, I mean, this is, this is how I started and it's the reason I feel like in my first year, which my first year, I think I sold almost 5 million. I'd never sold real estate in my life. And the reason that happened is because I became a market expert because I was seeing properties. I was checking the hot sheet every day. People could see me actively that I was training. I was doing a lot of videos. So I became a market expert. So people trusted me whenever I said, yes, this is a good buy for this area, or I think this house is a little overpriced. People are going to trust you because they see that you're doing these things. Um, and it's an, another place that social media is just an easy, very easy tool um, to show people. Okay, so we've, we've got some, a good basis of market knowledge by doing these things. But when it comes time to actually write an offer, when it comes time for us to say, okay, I've, 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 I know based on just the market itself and the things that I know that this is a pretty good deal. Um, but now I need to show it on paper. So I, I'm one of those people like I like the proof, you know, like sometimes I feel like I know I'm right. I don't know if you may, whenever you're like in an argument with your spouse, you know, and you're like, I know I'm right, but a man, I sure like the proof to prove it. And so that's the same thing when it comes to comps, comps are just proving what you know to be right. It can be a little pat on the back for you to know that when you said this is a great buy, or I feel like this is just a few thousand dollars overpriced. I mean, when you start working your numbers and you see that that house based on comps is about you know, $10,000 over what it should be, and you can say to your client, now I've pulled the comps and I can show you that it's 10,000 over. I thought it was a little high, it is. It's 10,000 high based on the numbers. Um, it's good validation for you that you're doing your job. So let's talk about comps. What constitutes a true comparable? True comparable. Location. Location. Square footage. Square footage. Condition. Condition. Number of bedrooms and bathrooms. Okay. Bedroom. Bedroom. Bathroom. Age. Age. Okay. Anything else? Date of. Okay, yes, so it needs to be closed to be a true comparable. How long? We want six months to 12 in the past six to 12 months. In our market, I really try for six um, because our market's moving so quickly and it's so hot. Um, sometimes, and I had an appraiser tell me this, I asked him this whenever I built my house. I did lots of homework I built out in a, you know, uh, an area where there's not a lot of people and I was wanting to make sure that for my husband's sake to show him that I know what I was doing and telling him this was a good thing for us to do. Um, 
We should build here. This is good. We're going to have some money and equity immediately. Um, I asked the appraiser when he came to appraise my house. If I had to go out further away, and that goes back to location, if I had to go out further away or back in time, what's the first thing that you do? Because sometimes you'll get in a situation where you have trouble finding comps. He said, it's better to go back in time first and find something that's closer in location and closer to condition, size, all that, and go just a little bit back in time and try to um, think about, um, not depreciation, but it, appreciation. yeah, appreciation, thank you. Um, and uh, take into account appreciation. So just a little, a little tidbit. So closed, so we can look at pending and active, but bottom line is, Praise value, it's only gonna count when the property has closed because first of all, if it's pending, we don't know what it's gonna close for. Same thing with active. Somebody could put a house on the market down the road for 50,000 more, but if it doesn't ever sell for anything close to that, then it doesn't matter. And sometimes people will get really caught up on that. You know, oh, my neighbor put their house on the market for 400,000 and nobody sold anything for over three in here. And I'm like, well, your neighbor never sold their house. They pulled it off the market because probably nobody came to see it, you know? Um, so closed out, I closed six to 12 months, and then we're gonna take into account all of these things. So we today are going to um, comp a property. We're gonna use the neighborhood Saddlewood and Fairhope. Um, and this is a house that I'm going to list probably next year now, but I'm gonna list this house. So I want you to help me. I want you to help me comp this property. I've already done it, of course, um, and talk to the person because most sellers, the, big, the, the magic question is, what's my number? What am I gonna walk away with? Does it make sense for me to sell now? You know, um, And so this is where you start. So 293 Silo Loop is the one we're gonna comp. So if you are, if you have the MLS in front of you or you're next to somebody, we want to go into Paragon. We want to look up closed data. I would start, I always start with the individual neighborhood. So we're going to look up closed and you can do closed pending and active. I don't think there's anything pending in there right now. Um, closed pending and active in Saddlewood and for the past year. And if you don't know how to do the date or the timeline, it gives that to you right underneath. Did you see where they're connecting? Oh. What is it? I'm in the wrong community. Never mind. And you want to go back 12 months or six? Um, let's do 12. We'll start with 12. So we're going search, residential. You've done a bunch in that neighborhood. Close. I know. I like that neighborhood. It's a great neighborhood. <laughs> um, I closed the like original model in there and they had only lived in it like a year and a half. And um, I had another listing, but then she got her realtor's license and That's so. Where I met the committees in that neighborhood. Yeah. Sure did. In Saddlewood? Yep. Yeah. So hopefully everybody has it where you can do that. I actually, and this would be a tech question, but long time ago we had somebody that taught a tech class and showed us how to set up saved searches and so I have a saved search set up that's a comp search so when I when I go to my saved searches it automatically pulls for me uh, closed in the past year um, closed pending and active and then all I have to do is input the actual name of the subdivision so if I enter Saddlewood it's gonna pull for me um, 
need to reset that. How many are there? Two in the last six months. Okay. One was yours. Yes. <laughs> that was a good one. And I'll, I want to talk about that one. That's another reason why I use this neighborhood because essentially the listing, this listing that I potentially am going to get, I got from that other house that I had in that area. I mean, if you do a good job, you sell a house quickly, guess what? Looks good for you. People call you, they want you to sell their house in the same neighborhood. Um, okay, so if we do the past six months, I think there were only three. Is that right? Or right down the, the MLS? Closed in the last six months. Okay. You don't have to pull active, pending, and close, right? Uh-huh. So the re whenever we're looking and we're truly looking at comps, the reason we, I, I like to pull active too is because I want to see, um, like if I'm looking at this for a listing, um, per, from a listing perspective, I want to say, oh gosh, we're going to have four other houses that are really similar to ours that people are going to be comparing it to. But somebody's going to see that. They're going to look and say there's three other houses in the neighborhood, and then they're going to compare ours to that one, whether or not we want them to. So then I need to think about how my, my house compares directly to those ones that are active there too. Um, but if we're looking at closed data, so what do you have? 139 open field? Closed. Is it 139 open field? And 111. And then 111, okay. All right, so two that have closed, they're both very similar in square footage. You've got 20, 23 to 2400 square feet. Um, you've got one of them has four bedroom, one of them has five bedroom. One has two and a half bath, one has three bath. And then um, the house that we're looking at to actually comp, the first thing I'm always gonna do is, I know that this is a DR Horton, I'm, I'm knowledgeable it's neighborhood. This was a DR Horton neighborhood. It's now got some DSLD that's connected to it that they're building that are mostly under contract now, but this is gonna be in the MLS. Like I'm gonna be able to find when this one closed. So I'm gonna actually go back in and open up like a little section to the right, a new search, and I'm gonna go back and look um, when this house originally closed because the first question I asked them was what have you done to the house since you've owned it? Oh, well, no, it's all pretty original. We did repaint. Um, we went lighter. Oh, we screened in the back porch. So they screened in the back porch. I'm like, okay. Um, well, I also am I'm a market expert. I know this neighborhood. I know that when they first started building that they didn't do granite. So um, I said, okay, did, did you buy when granite was standard or do you have granite in your house? Oh yeah, yeah, we do have granite. It's really pretty, it's this, da, da. so they do have granite. So because I knew the neighborhood and knew the market, I knew that, that every house didn't have this. So when I'm comparing the houses, apples to apples, this is one of the things that I'll actually wanna pay attention to. Um, and it's where I'm gonna bring up the one that closed on 111 open field, the reason that I priced it the way that I did that house had, um, did not have granite countertops, they had Formica. So I knew that going in, that this was a military family who had bought this home thinking that they may not be here for long. And she was like, we've moved so many times in the military that I just learned, I don't do anything to a house. We live there a couple of years, we sell it. It's not, a, you know, it's not a big thing. So when I went in to look at it, I knew ahead of time, these are the things that I'm looking at, but I can go back to the listing the old listing originally when they sold it, and if they tell me they haven't done anything to it, well, guess what? I'm gonna be able to look at it and see. Was it a good color, color combination that, that was chosen on the outside? I'm looking at just cosmetic stuff, like how does it look from the outside? And this was without me ever, I haven't even gone to see the house yet, just me, the, the, the homework before I get there. Um, and then I'm looking at what's closed and what's pending. And I, I'll have looked this one up, and I know that it is very similar square footage wise. Did somebody find it? 
I think that it's around 20, it's close to 2,500, I think. I think it was an Avery plan, which is. Yes, 293. Because with this one, this, they bought this originally from D.R. Horton. So it's going to be in there, but it's not going to be in the past year. You know, it's going to be, I'm not going to put any parameters on date. I'm just going to put, so what is it? 24.95. Okay. So it just so happens that the other two that I have to compare to, one is 23.47 square feet and one is 24.64 square feet. That listing is also going to let me know, is it one of the five threes? Like which floor plan is it? Is it 4.2, 4.2.5, 4.3? Four three. Four three and a half. So probably a Victoria. Okay. Um, so I'm like, okay, so I have an extra bathroom than the the one house that was at 139 that closed for 282. I've got one more bathroom than that one, but I have one less bedroom than the one that closed for 285, 115 a square foot. 2193. This one. Oh, it's an Avery. I said that first. Avery, which is a great floor plan for deer from them. It's a good floor plan. Because um, that's another thing, too. You could have a house that's the same exact square footage, but if you know every, every buyer that walks in is going to go, oh, this floor plan is terrible. Um, that's a buyer objection, which may end up reflecting the length of time the house sits on the market or inevitably value because you're going to have to come down to get people in or get people writing an offer. Quick question. When you're running comps, do you have a value that you place on certain rooms, bedrooms, bathrooms? I don't have a number, and I think there probably is, like, a because I went to an appraisal class one time, and they told me, like, if you have a garage versus a carport, there's a number for that, you know, 5000 for a garage where it's 3000 for a carport, and, but no, I just, because a neighborhood like this, I don't have to do that, because I can find how other houses within the neighborhood that have something similar to it, so that I don't have to break it down that much. If you get to a property that is a little bit more unique, it's not in like a cookie cutter neighborhood where you've got other floor plans that are similar to it that you could compare, then you may have to get more to like nuts and bolts of it. But for comp purposes, for us today, I wanted to choose something that was a little bit easier, because we could, we can go back in and find something almost, you know, almost exactly like what we're looking for. So I'm going to look at price per foot because they're all similar square footage and it looks like I've got a range of 115 to 120 per foot. That's what's sold, 115 to 120. And then I'm going to look at each individual house. So that's, then I'm going to go through and flip through the listing agent's pictures and I'm going to see comparing this one that I know I know I've got granite, I know I've got a screen porch, um, neutral colors throughout, carpet in the bedrooms, not in the main areas. You know, like those simple basic things. I'm going to start flipping through and I'm going to see, well, Openfield didn't have granite and I do. Openfield did have a screened back porch and I do. So okay, you know, then I, I'm going to start to weigh these things against the other one. Um, like is my house going to bring more per square foot or less? Larger houses, um, as a general rule in a neighborhood, larger house, less per foot. Less per foot. Smaller house, more per foot. So when you're seeing the other houses that have so sold in Saddlewood and they're those 3,000 square foot McKenzie's, but they're only selling for like $100 or $102 a foot, it's because that house is you know, 1,000 square feet bigger. So larger house, less per foot, smaller house, more per foot.
Mexico. Let's see. Silo, 261 silo? Uh, yes. Okay. And that one is one of the bigger ones too. It's 3,072 square feet. So it closed in the, in the time period, um, but with it being so much larger, I'm gonna go, if I have two good comps, um, then I, I feel like I can get a value off of two. I prefer to have three if I can, but with two, um, I'm, I'm gonna you know, think that I can do pretty good with that. Another thing I would do if I was short on comps was I would, I would try to go to a nearby neighborhood that I knew was similar to this one. Um, that's not always going to be something that's easy to do. The neighborhood that's right next to Saddlewood is Southland Park. And um, Southland Park is not exactly the same, but you, you can use that one in with um, like Huntington Woods, which is, you know, Huntington Woods is the D.R. Horton neighborhood that's a little bit newer. Um, but if it's like, if you know your neighborhoods, you know, okay, I could, you know, this one could also be compared to Colony Place. Saddlewood, the only thing with Saddlewood is there are a lot of the same houses from Saddlewood that were being sold at the same time in Firethorn, but even when D.R. Horton sold them, there was a twenty-five, dollars $30,000 difference for a base plan. So you're, you don't have to know all those things to comp a property, but I'm just saying the more that you know the market, the more that off the top of your head, you're going to just know some of these things. So I've looked and I have saw, okay, 115 to 120. I need to price my house too. I need to think about where I land because I need to look at how much they had their houses listed for, how much those houses sold for. I know that typically we're gonna see around 2% um, of negotiating uh, room in our listings here. But if this, let's just say this particular one, like mine sold for full price um, in just a couple days on the market, three days on the market, the other one sold for, um, 7,000 less maybe, 7,900 less, and it was on the market 28 days. Um, and then what was that other one on? There was another one on Silo, but it closed, it's been over six months ago. But it closed for like 120 a foot, and it was a 2,400 square foot home. Well, okay, so let's look at it. That one that's active right now, like let's look at it and try to establish why did the listing agent underprice it or do we think there's a reason why they've priced it that much lower? The first thing that I noticed was they have it at 3,452 square feet and a McKenzie is typically 3,100. So I don't know where that extra 300 square feet came from. It made me think that they added on to it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Which, gosh, it's already such a big house. Okay. So as, as she said that as soon as I start clicking through the pictures, it's got dark granite, dark woods. I'm looking at the house, the color paint, uh, the paint colors are a little bit dated. You got some yellows and lots of burgundies and. Um, and when it comes to resale, like those kinds of things matter. I mean, if you have a seller and they say, well, my whole house is burgundy and yellow and green, but surely the buyer knows they could just repaint the house, um, they'd be better off spending two grand on painting the house because every buyer that walks through is not gonna think, oh, I can't wait to paint the new house that I just bought, you know? Um, but yeah, so immediately, those are the things that I see. It's bigger than any other house in the entire neighborhood at 3,400 square feet. Um, so that's another reason why it should be priced almost bottom per square foot for the neighborhood. 
Um, and I have two good prompt, two good comps to show me that my window should, that I should be able to sell easily within that 115 to 120. With mine having granite, with it having um, a screened in back porch, they had asked me, we've considered um, glassing this in and um, piping in AC. Should we do that if we know that we're going to sell the next year? Well, there is a couple things you need to ask yourself. How much per square foot is that going to get me if I add it to the house? 115 a square foot for you know 200, 200 square feet or so to add that porch in. And how much is it going to cost you to have that AC piped in? So then look, you're helping them. You know what I mean? It's not just about like, oh, let me sell your house and get some money. You're really like, it's like your friend saying, should I do this? Because you're an expert and you've been able to look at these numbers, you have access to something they don't. Um, you can say, I probably wouldn't, you know, you might make $2,000 off of it, maybe, um, but I really, I probably wouldn't do that as if you know you're going to sell it in the next year and a half, you know. Um, okay, so no granite in that one. What about 139? If we know 139 open field. So I'm like, okay, we're going to, I'm flipping through this one. This is exactly like the one I sold on 111. So they've got carpet in the bedrooms, the LVP throughout the main areas. Pretty neutral, it's a little bit beigey. They've got a little carpet, um, I mean a carpet, a little concrete pad in the back, but no screened in porch. And that one sold for 120 a foot. It took them a little bit longer, but um, they sold it within you know a month at 120 a square foot. And I wanna give myself a little bit of wiggle room in, in negotiating, so. Um, if I look and say, okay, well, my house that was, it's 24.95 square feet. If I priced it at 120, what's that going to put me at? 20 a foot. That's going to put me at 299.400. If I priced at 120, who can tell me why I wouldn't price it at this? Yes. Because it would. Um bracket pricing that's right what is bracket pricing the idea that we want to pick up on the person that's looking up to 300 and the person that's looking up to 350 and we do that because we didn't price some weird 299 9.99 whatever um, it's not a grocery store we're gonna go 300,000 even even though technically we've we think that it might be worth $600 less but we are gonna price it at the zero so that we can pick up both brackets of buyers. Now I could tell my buyer, my seller, with the comps that have sold right here at 120, we could price it really aggressively at right there at 120, or we can try to test the market a little bit. Let's just say that she is an impeccable decorator. She has beautiful drapes throughout the house. Um, it's very tastefully done and not just is it neutral colors, but it's immaculate. Let's just say you could eat off the floor and there's not a smudge on any wall in the entire house. I'm probably gonna say, let's be a little bit aggressive. We're gonna test the market a little bit. We're gonna go a little above this 120 square foot because comps support and show me that we know that it will probably sell in this window, this being on the high range. We have proof because you have granite, you have a screen and porch. Um, you have the extra bathroom. I feel confident we could get that 120. So let's test it a little bit. Let's go, you know, um, a few dollars a square foot over this and give ourselves some negotiating room. You also need to tell them, 
you know, if that house doesn't go under contract in the first two weeks, you're, you're not likely to get the full price at, um, asking. So you need to say, okay, wherever we price it, we need to, we need to imagine and, and consider that we're probably going to get offered about 2% less than that, whether that's in closing costs, whether that's them coming off of the actual purchase price. But if you have these conversations with your seller up front, and you don't let them be surprised when you call them in a month and say, I know we priced the house aggressively, but we haven't had anybody come look at it. Now I think we need to reduce the price. Um, if you have those conversations up front, like, hey, what do you think about testing the market? I feel like we, I feel like this would be like the sweet spot. I could probably get under contract like that. Or we could price it at 210 and let's just see, you know, what happens. You might have a seller that says, oh no, I just want to sell it tomorrow. I'm just over it. Or you might say, hey, I want all the money I can get. And then I'm going to have the conversation with them. If we haven't had 10 showings in a month, if we haven't had, um, we hadn't had an offer after a, a month on the market with, you know, I'm wanting two showings a week or so on this. And we have, if we're not getting the activity that we need to get an offer, 10, off, 10, 10 showings with no offer or a month on the market with no offer, um, then we need to come down on the price. And if you have those conversations up front, then you've shown them the data, you showed them the numbers, the proof behind what you said, you've had the difficult conversations up front, so when the time comes, they're not taken off guard. People just want to know that you're thinking about their house, their listing, that you didn't just you know, slap some price on it and you know, see what you wanna do. And there are some people who really, really wanna push our market, and that has to be a decision that you make for yourself and the kind of agent that you are, that you wanna be. Um, and I think everybody has, you know, the general preface of how to comp a property and where to get value is the same, but as far as exactly where you price it and what your strategy and motive is, is different for everybody. I know that Andrew Carver had this conversation recently with our market being so hot, are we underselling our sellers? You know, like, should we really be pricing these properties higher? Um, and I, you know, and this is just totally personal. This is just my two cents on it. And I just feel like the numbers are the numbers. They are what they are. Um, and I know we're in a supply and demand, uh, you know, obviously we, have, we don't have enough market or inventory for the amount of people that we have moving to our area. But I just think that we can get to a place where we're in an unhealthy position if agents are trying to push the market so aggressively and, and, and appraisers are like scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to figure out a way to make the value work. Some appraisers will do that and some will not. So, you know, you have to run the risk too of a house might not appraise if I am too aggressive with my pricing. And those are things that you need to know before you do it. Um, does anybody have any questions? Yes. Okay, so you have like just like I said, everybody has it. Everybody has a different philosophy on why they price the house the way that they do. And maybe I think everybody's like me, and that they just they if they test the market, they're just barely testing it. Well, then if I choose wrongly and I don't do my homework to know that I can tell my, because I'm going to go back to my buyer, say that the buyer that wants to buy 293 Silo, and I'm going to say, look, the value is really in here. And because I did my homework, I can show them it's going to come in about here. Uh, they priced it here. Eh, I could see that 121 a foot. Okay, I could see that because the numbers show this. But if I didn't do that, and let's just say that they had priced it at 
325 because they're the kind of agent who wants to really test the market or feel like they, you know, like they're going to have to negotiate really hardball with a buyer's agent and we end up at 315. Well, if I didn't do my homework, then I'm going to, you know, my buyer is the one who's going to be hurt because we're going to get in a situation where it doesn't appraise. If it's FHA, then, you know, they're out of luck. We're going to have to move on. Um, if they're VA, same thing. Or that, you know, everybody's going to be mad. Nobody, it's not a good position for either people to be in because the seller thought that they could get this much money and they couldn't because the appraised, the value wasn't there. And then the buyers lost out on a house that they wanted to get. And they probably paid for an inspection and they probably pay, paid for an appraisal. So now they're out of pocket, $800, $900 on a house that they can't even buy. So it is our absolute job and role to be sure. Um, and I don't think it doesn't matter how long you've been in the business. Um, I mean, four years, I sell a lot on the Eastern Shore. I feel like I have a very good handle on our market, um, but I always do this. And when I, and I could show you emails that I've sent recently. I've got one that's gonna be coming in Timber Creek as soon as we find them a house. I've already had photos done. We're ready to put that thing on the market. And whenever I sent them the email that said, based on the market, this is what's sold in your neighborhood in the past month, this is the range, this is why I feel like your house fits in this range, this is where I feel like we should sell it. And he called me, and I, I, they're the kind of people I work directly from my sphere, from past clients. I, I feel like I don't have to fight for my clients. But when he called me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I have to let you know that another house that's the same floor plan as ours across the neighborhood came on the market and they listed for the exact price that you told us that we should list for and it went under contract in two days. And they were like, so um, thank you for all the work that you did and we feel so good about when we are ready to list the house that you know where it needs to be. And so it will always, always play in your favor to do the right thing and to do the homework. Um, always, because the best thing that you could ever have is those Zillow reviews that are killer, that that person's telling my friend, hey, you need to call April because she's gonna do her homework and you know she got me the greatest deal or you know she looked out for me. So I think that's about it. Any other questions before we, anything else? Good job. Thank you guys.